welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We read from Jeremiah, chapter 46. The word of Yahweh that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations, about Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates at Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Prepare buckler and shield in advance for battle. Harness the horses, mount, O horsemen. Take your stations with your helmets, polish your spears, put on your armor. Why have I seen it? They are dismayed and have turned backward. Their warriors are beaten down and have fled in haste. They look not back. Terror on every side, declares Yahweh. The swift cannot flee away, nor the warrior escape. In the north, by the river Euphrates, they have stumbled and fallen. Who is this, rising like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge? Egypt rises like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge. He said, I will rise, I will cover the earth, I will destroy cities and their inhabitants. Advance, O horses, and rage, O chariots, let the warriors go out. Men of Cush and Put, who... Handle the shield, men of blood, skilled in handling the bow. That day is the day of the Lord Yahweh of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. For the Lord Yahweh of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Go up to Gilead and take balm, O virgin daughter of Egypt. In vain you have used many medicines, there is no healing for you. The nations have heard of your shame, and the earth is full of your cry. For warrior has stumbled against warrior. They have both fallen together. The word that Yahweh spoke to Jeremiah the prophet about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to strike the land of Egypt. Declare in Egypt, and proclaim in Migdal, proclaim in Memphis and Toppenes, say, Stand ready and be prepared, for the sword shall devour around you. Why are your mighty ones face down? They do not stand because Yahweh thrust them down. He made many stumble and they fell, and they said to one another, Arise, let us go back to our own people and to the land of our birth because of the sword of the oppressor. Call the name of Pharaoh king of Egypt, Noisy One, who lets the hour go by. As I live, declares the king, whose name is Yahweh of hosts, like Tabor among the mountains and like Carmel by the sea, shall one come. Prepare yourselves, baggage for exile, inhabitants of Egypt, for Memphis shall become a waste, a ruin without inhabitant. A beautiful heifer is Egypt, but a biting fly from the north has come upon her. Even her hired soldiers in her midst are like fattened calves. Yes, they have turned and fled together, they did not stand, for the day of their calamity has come upon them, the time of their punishment." She makes a sound like a serpent gliding away for her enemies march in force and come against her with axes like those who fell trees. They shall cut down her forest, declares Yahweh, though it is impenetrable because they are more numerous than locusts, they are without number. The daughter of Egypt shall be put to shame. She shall be delivered into the hand of a people from the north. Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, said, Behold, I am bringing punishment upon Ammon of Thebes, and Pharaoh, and Egypt, and her gods, and her kings, upon Pharaoh and those who trust in him, I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their life, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. 
Afterward Egypt shall be inhabited as in the days of old, declares Yahweh. But fear not, O Jacob, my servant, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares Yahweh, for I am with you. I will make a full end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. This is the word of the Lord. Our chapter today, starting there at verse 1, is actually an introduction to a new section in the book of Jeremiah, almost a closing section, if you will. This is a section now about God's judgment spoken through Jeremiah to the various nations around Judah, but also interacting with Judah. So chapter 46 is God's judgment against Egypt. Chapter 47 will be the Philistines. Chapter 48 will be Moab. Chapter 49 will be a long one. Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kedar, Hazor, and Elam. Lots of them in that chapter. Chapters 50 and 51 are dedicated to Babylon. And then chapter 52 is basically a historical summary or recap of the events that span the book of Jeremiah. Uh, from prior to Judah's fall, covering Judah's fall, the destruction of Jerusalem, and what happens after that. So that's a quick overview of the rest of the book here, but we start chapter 46 today with judgment against Egypt, and it's a twofold judgment. You get one section that starts here in verse 2, and you get another section that'll start down in verse 13, and it's a twofold time period. So the Verse 2's section that goes all the way through verse 12 is in reference to the events of around 605 BC where Nebuchadnezzar will defeat Pharaoh Necho and his Egyptian army at Carchemish on the Euphrates River, which is roughly 500 miles north of the city of Jerusalem in the land. I guess we would probably still call that Syria. Um, it's where Haran is. If you remember Haran from the book of Genesis where Abraham had lived before God called him down to the promised land, Um, this is a little west of Haran at this time. So you can read about this a little bit more in depth rather than kind of a prophetic way of saying it, but more of a historical detail of this fight in 2 Kings chapter 23. But what do we get here in this chapter? Well, again, we learn Nebuchadnezzar is the one who makes this, this destruction for Egypt In the first couple of verses, so prepare buckler shield, advance for battle, harness your horses, take your stations, your helmets, God is inviting Egypt to fight. Why have I seen it? Seen the fight, seen the battle, seen the defeat, seen the victory against them, and so they're dismayed. Their warriors are beaten down, they have fled in haste. God already sees this, God already knows the victory that is coming Um, Well, or in their case, the loss that is coming. They looked not back, terror on every side. This is Magor Misaviv, that phrase uh, from chapter 20 that Jeremiah renames, that Yahweh renames that priest Pashur, the one who had arrested Jeremiah, put him in the stocks overnight in the temple and beat him. That guy. Uh, So terror on every side, Magor Misaviv. So there is terror on every side, even in this battle. There's nowhere really to flee, and that's what we see in verse 6. They, the swift can't flee. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere for them to run. The warrior cannot escape. In the north, 
they stumble. They fall. Verse 7 is intriguing. Uh, Well, really, seven pairs with eight. Eight gets into pride. Seven, who is this rising like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge? The Nile River in the rainy season, uh, well, there'll there'll come a time of flooding. It'll breach its banks as the water gets so high and then the flood waters go everywhere. If you live by a river and you've seen something like that, you can get this picture. Um, the idea is of an army rising up and just spreading over the earth and bringing destruction. Egypt thinks this is them. That's verse 8. I will rise. I will cover the earth. I will destroy cities and inhabitants. See how the in ESV the Uh, quotation mark ends there at the end of verse 8 and in verse 9 Yahweh invites them advance O horses rage O chariots let the warriors go out see if your pride works and he's going to come back with that idea actually in the next section um, the second section of judgment against Egypt here later on when calling Pharaoh Nico in verse 17, noisy one who lets the hour go by. Basically, the picture is Nico is prideful. He makes great boast, but it's all empty. The hour go by is a reference to the fighting, and he just sat it out. He's weak and not capable of doing what he is so greatly boasted of. Verse 9 again, though. Men of Cush and Put and Lud... Cush, these are all African mercenaries, by the way. Cush is to the southeast of Egypt. Put and Lud are to the west of Egypt at the time. So these are skilled mercenaries that they hire in to help them battle against Babylon. But verse 10, that day is the day of the Lord Yahweh of hosts. Host is armies, again, remember that. Last day kind of phrase here, the day of Yahweh in the Old Testament, often a reference to the day Christ returns, the day of judgment of all flesh. It's a reference to judgment. So this is a judgment day for God to avenge himself on his foes. And so here he's avenging himself on Egypt because they have rejected him. They have rebelled against him and so forth. So the sword shall devour and drink its fill of their blood. Many Egyptians will be killed. Yahweh holds a sacrifice. Again, the shedding of blood reference there uh, in the north country by the river Euphrates, which we've seen. Verse 11 is going to pick up an image from chapter 8, verse 12. So, ways back here, but this was spoken similarly about Judah. Gilead is to the east of the Jordan River, well known for their medicinal herbs and things. So, balm, a healing ointment. But there won't be any. There is no healing for Egypt. The nations have heard of their shame and they're going to be destroyed. Their warriors have stumbled against one another and they have fallen together. That's the picture of, well, I'm not going to accuse them of drunkenness, but that's the picture, right? The idea of being drunken together and so you don't even know who your enemy is. You take your swords, you turn on one another, you've killed each other, and so you fall together. Those soldiers were of no use. They were, they were only harmful. That's kind of the picture. I'm not accusing drunkenness here, but... That mindset that they turned on one another is part of how the Lord did this. And that's not the only time the Lord does this in the Old Testament. One popular example would be Gideon defeating the army at Midian in Judges chapter 7. 
Um, so 300 men against, I believe, it was 135,000 Midianite soldiers. Judges 7, verse 22, when they blew the 300 trumpets, so that's the 300 men each blowing their trumpet for the sound of war, Yahweh set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. God turned the soldiers against each other. The 300 men of God's army didn't even have swords. They weren't armed. They had torches and jars and trumpets. Nothing to fight with. And yet they defeated a significantly larger army because it was God who fought for them. This is going to become, so this is what happens in a sense with Egypt here, but it becomes part of the next section too. So keep that one in mind. We're going to fast forward now to after the exile to chapter 44's prediction, prophecy, the Lord speaking that Nebuchadnezzar would strike Egypt. Um, So we're 587 at least at this point. And we get all those places in Egypt mentioned from before uh, where the the Jews, where the Judaites are living, Migdal, Memphis, Toppenes, all these places of Egypt. And so declare, that's Jeremiah the prophet, to speak this word to the people. Stand ready. Be prepared. A sword shall devour around you that there's fighting coming. Now, who is he declaring this to? It, it appears to be both Egypt and Judah but primarily Egypt. It's going to be the end of the chapter that's focused on the people of God, the people of Judah. So here's God's challenge. Why are your mighty ones face down? So why are your mighty ones your warriors? Why are they dead? Because Yahweh thrust them down. He made them stumble. Yahweh has done this. You cannot fight back against God. So they're fearful. They want to return home because of the sword of the oppressor, but they don't recognize that it's the sword of Yahweh that is bearing judgment against them. So we talked about the name of Pharaoh, noisy one, empty, empty threats, empty pride, empty boasts. As I live, declares the king, Yahweh, so God, swearing by himself, shall one come, an enemy, to defeat them. Like Tabor and Carmel, these are tall mountains in the land of Israel, the promised land. So, a great enemy is coming. Prepare yourselves baggage for exile, O inhabitants of Egypt, for Memphis shall become a waste. Just like God ends up using Babylon to destroy Judah and to take them into exile, so the warning here against Egypt is very much the same. God then calls Egypt a beautiful heifer, a cow, um, but a biting fly from the north has come upon her. So the north, in a reference to where Babylon will come as they march down, specifically for Egypt, definitely, as you, even if they were to come south of the Salt Sea, they would still end up coming in some ways from the north upon Egypt itself. There, even the hired soldiers are like fattened calves, so ready for the slaughter at that point and they did not stand makes a sound like a serpent gliding away so a serpent gliding away is fleeing and so Egypt will flee her enemies march in force cutting her down like trees they're more numerous than locusts without number Egypt does not have a chance in this fight the daughter of Egypt shall be put to shame delivered into the hand of the people of the north which is a reference again 
to King Nebuchadnezzar, which is specifically said there in verse 26 for us, that God is judging Ammon, Thebes, Pharaoh, Egypt, her gods, and her kings. Pharaoh and those who trust in him. The Pharaoh in some ways seen like a, a god himself. And so those who trust in false gods are going to be put to destruction, to God's judgment. Ammon is specifically the name of one such Egyptian god. Now, the text then shifts right here at the end. Verses 27 and 28 are from chapter 30 from earlier in the book. Chapter 30, verses 10 and 11, very much so a parallel that God is going to restore his people. Fear not, Jacob, my servant. Behold, I will save you from far away. That's a reference to exile. This seems to be spoken not as much perhaps to the people in Egypt as it is to his people in Babylon, although he has said that there will be some fugitives from Egypt who are able to return as well. So this ends up being not only people in Babylon, but to the Jews who are scattered everywhere, that he will bring them back, he will restore them, he will restore Jacob, his servant. They need not fear because God is with them. So we've talked about this quite a bit. I will make a full end of all the nations to which I've driven you, but of you I will not make a full end, so they are spared. But they will be disciplined. They will be punished because of their sins, which is part of what the exile here is about. So there is some, there's a little bit of a push past just the prophecy being about the restoration of Judah that comes in 538 B.C., under King Cyrus of Persia, there's a little bit of a foreshadowing to this of the sa- saving the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to pick up on a family conversation together is verse 28, part A, fear not my servant for I am with you. Talk about that as a family. How is God with us today and how does that help us not be afraid? fantastic conversations that are going to center on God's word, that are going to center on his promises to you. So primarily it's going to be about word and sacrament. That is how God is with us today. Jesus is in us, dwells in us. He is with us always to the end of the age from Matthew chapter 28. Great promise. You get to see and touch and taste his body and blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. God is with us, and because he is with us, because he is for us, we have nothing to fear, even if, even if we die, even if we are the, the fodder that gets cut down by the sword. Christ has promised us a resurrection, and because he lives, we live. Death will only put you before the throne of God. I mean, it doesn't mean we rush for that. We To live is Christ, to die is gain. And so as we live, we serve Jesus each and every day. But when death comes, the Christian doesn't fear it. Because Christ has defeated it. And he's done it for you. <laughs>